Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Electric Leftovers. My name is Jason. How are you today? Hope you are all doing well. Hope you had a nice holiday season, whichever one that you uh, choose to celebrate. If you choose to celebrate, that's not everybody's thing, and there's no uh, issue with that, right? Uh, what do we got going on? Well, since last we spoke, we've got some new soundtracks for uh, the Ninja Warriors and Octodad, Dadliest Catch. We have some new videos from me, Final Fantasy VII, and Aladdin for the Super Nintendo. And Coolio uh, found some of his old stuff that uh, didn't get added to the site, so he added that. Which includes Pinbot and Donkey Kong Country 3, Dixie Kong's Double Trouble. Other than that, you know, not a ton going on, what with the holidays and all. So, keep an eye on it, though. Things will pick up here shortly.
Mystery House is an adventure game released by Online Systems in 1980, and it was designed and written and illustrated by Roberta Williams and programmed by Ken Williams for the Apple II. Mystery House is the first graphical adventure game and the first game produced by Online Systems, the company which would evolve into Sierra Online. It is one of the earliest horror video games. And in that, it doesn't really have a back of a box, so I can't really tell you anything about it. This was a monthly for June 2016. I believe it was text adventure games, or maybe just adventure games, something. Anyway, um, it is notable for all those reasons. It was the first um, graphical, what you call it, adventure game, and it was one of the earliest horror video games. It was also Roberta and Ken Williams, who did go on to do like all the King's Quest games and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, it's it doesn't hold up to today's standards, and I played the whole thing with a walkthrough because it is so convoluted. I, and I know a lot of the Roberta Williams games are are really considered to be just, you know, Sierra Death kind of thing. There is a reason that term exists, Sierra Death, Sierra Hard. And this has all of that, except it's all through text, so it's even worse. Mystery House is not a terrible game. Uh, it's not a great game. And, you know... 30 years ago, almost 40 years ago when it came out, it was probably fine. Uh, it just has not aged well at all. Thankfully, it's only one video, and since I used a walkthrough, I got through it pretty quick. So if you want to see Mystery House, that might be the best way to do it.
I've been interested to see where the reviews for this game go because it's such a strange game. Um, it's not necessarily good. I don't know that I would necessarily call it bad. And looking at the reviews, eh, yeah, I think a lot of people are kind of in the same mindset as I am. I see a couple of, you know, threes, a couple fours, there's a four and a half. But then there's also like, here's a one and a half, here's a two. Um, let's see. There's, I see one person that we've read from before, so we'll go back to them. And let's do that one. That one's pretty short. We'll do the short, short one first. It's a dead man's party. Who could ask for more? Memorable, scary, funny, classic, smart, hard, hokey, amazing, decent, horrid. These are but a few of the words I heard used to describe this old school title. Do you like monsters? B-movies? Old platformers? Hard games? Silly odd characters and plot? Look no further, friends. Look no further. Graphics, 8. Hey, it's an, it's the NES. I give it an 8 for the time period. It's got awesome character and creature design, both immediately classic and new at once. Awesome level design and background. Great concepts here. Trippy stuff. Sometimes disturbing content, considering it's for kids, I think. Sound, 8. Another solid 8 here. Again, it's NES. Don't expect much by 2007 standards. Oh yeah, a Monster Party review. By last firstborn, originally reviewed 6607. He was a year off. Anyway, typical sounds that mostly make sense for the characters and levels. Nothing special, but definitely nothing bad either. Gameplay 8. Yep, you're a boy with a baseball bat fighting a host of creatures and the supernatural. When you find a pill, yes, a pill, you transform into your newly acquired monster half, Bert. He can fly and shoot fireballs, definitely the better of the two for most fights and platforming sections, but he disappears after too much damage or set time. You run through your standard platform areas, collect keys or other sub-objects, and open doors in various rooms that have other items you may need, a boss or mini-boss or an exit. Rinse and repeat for multiple levels. It's solid for its time and one of the more overlooked platformers due to its steep learning curve. Very hard until you learn how to play with the baseball bat and learn the maps cat in the room I knew nothing about. Sorry. Special, I, I guess. Eight. I had to include a special rating section. The level art characters and storyline are beyond whacked out in a very, very good way. B-movie cliches abound. Silly, broken English. English and Japanese, if you will. Makes everything funny and cool. And there are some generally disturbing ending scenes. Overall, a great game. If you have a working NES, get this title. I'm sure it's cheap. If you want a platforming challenge or a good laugh, it's for you. Hello, baby. Reviewers rating 4.0. Now, before we move on to the next one, let's just see what this game goes for. 21 bucks. You can get the manual for four, but the game is 21 bucks. Is it worth it? Yeah, I think so. It's not a great game. It's kind of a rare find, but it's fun to play, I think. And there, I spoiled my review. But the review I haven't spoiled is, This Ain't No Party. Believe me, 
a Monster Party review by Fidubu. Reviewed February 9th, 2000. This is an old one. Monster Party, and then it has a pronunciation thing. Noun. One. A mediocre game about a boy who travels to the world of monsters armed with a baseball bat and discovers that he has the power to shapeshift into a monster to beat on the baddies. Two. A game with a limited sense of direction and a few mildly amusing monster-themed gags. Graphics. The visuals are okay. Nothing special, really. The hero has a Three Stooges Mo hairdo and he slowly creeps around with a few frames of animation. When he crawls, he looks like an inchworm. The enemy monsters range from detailed, Medusa, to which four-year-old fan sent in this artwork? Pumpkinhead. The landscapes in the monster world are very bright and harsh on the eyes, except the sewer level, and there are a few still shots all at Ninja Gaiden that move the pathetic story along and there are decent enough power to graphics, uh, uh, decent enough to power the graphics up to a 5. Sound. Uh, the music is typical NES composition, and I mean the games that get lost in the shuffle. Think Air Fortress or Amagon rather than Castlevania or Super Mario Brothers. Hey, buddy. Fadoobu. I remember music from both of those games, so you watch your mouth. The sound effects can get on your nerves after a while, like when you are changing from a monster back to a human. The bat sounds like the cough of a Rottweiler suffering from emphysema. 4 out of 10. Control. Yes, it gets worse. The controls are somewhat solid in that they are easy to figure out and simple to master, but the hero walks so slow and crawls in such a jerky way that you are bound to experience many deaths as a result of poor control. The hero climbs a ladder faster than he walks, so good luck finding the patience necessary to finish each level. The monster's flight pattern is interesting and easy to manipulate, however. 3 out of 10. Gameplay. Oh boy, what's the deal with this game? As the young boy hero, you must slowly progress through each side-scrolling level, entering doors and various other openings like the mouths of sewer pipes. You smash plenty of lesser baddies with your bat. Along the way, in some of the rooms, you may fight some boss characters that are usually not too tough and they drop an item sometimes. Other times, nothing happens and you wonder why in creation you fought them. You continue and the pattern repeats. Uh, I'm going to interject here really quick because I've noticed a lot of people have had this uh, comment about the game, and I think it's because they don't know. You, At the end of every stage, there's a locked door. You need a key to get in. And these bosses in these little side room have the key. And if you don't know which boss has the key, because it is the same one every time, you have to go through and fight and find the right one. That's why you would need to go in all the rooms and fight all the monsters, because somewhere one of them has a key that you need. Now you know. Also, I don't I don't remember the game being as slow as Fadubu here uh, is complaining about. It's not like the stages are super, super long, so big deal. Story, a boy discovers that there is a world of monsters and it needs saving, and he can take this pill that turns him into a groovy monster, allowing him to save the world. Yawn, four out of ten. Replay value, ha 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 ha. Two out of ten. Average, three out of ten. This is no party. Monster Party is a reminder that the NES had its share of stinkers in the past. Avoid this at all costs. Rating, excuse me, one and a half. Bad. It's not a bad game. It's really not a bad game. Uh, Look, and let me give you a better example of what they were going for here. If you've never seen it or played it, it's also known as, in Japan, as Parody World Monster Party. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, hey... We all like B-Monster movies. Let's make a game about it. The plot doesn't have to be good. It's not good in B-Monster movies. Uh, So, I mean, take it for what it is. 
and you have a good time with it.
It is time for our news, and as is usually the case around this time of year, the news is a mess. So let's just start and see how it goes. Staff at the Martin County, Florida, great way to start, Correctional Institute spied some suspicious activity on the morning of December 16th. Around 1.30 a.m., a drone was spotted hovering over an intimate housing center, or an inmate housing center, excuse me, uh, while at the same time a black pickup truck rolled slowly in front of the center. The Tampa Bay Times reported officers stopped the truck and questioned Conceta Didano, 22, and her mother, Cassandra Kerr, 40, who said they had driven the 200 miles from their home in Tampa, so Didiano, Didiano, there we go, could learn how to drive the truck. But Kerr's husband is an inmate at the facility, and after a drone and a package of contraband, tobacco and mobile phones, turned up near the front gate of the prison, Kerr came clean. I did it! The remote and the iPad are in the back seat. Both Didiano and Kerr have been charged with introducing contraband into a correctional center. And now we know what that's called. Anger Mismanagement, H.W. Taylor III, well, with a name like that, 51 of Chatfield, Texas, was charged December 12th with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon after a parking dispute escalated outside a Domino's pizza shop in Gerald. Determined to park his tractor trailer in a restricted area, reported the Austin American Statesman, Taylor removed a chain blocking the area and parked his truck there, even as store employees told him not to. Williamson County Sheriff's deputies were called after Taylor pointed a gun at the chest of one of the employees and then shot a 9mm round into the ground nearby, causing a small piece of the bullet to strike the employee in the ear. Having lost his appetite for pizza, Taylor returned to his truck and drove away, but officers soon caught up with him in another county. The domino worker had a small cut to his ear and is expected to survive. Charges filed on H.W. Taylor, maybe? In Mesa, Arizona, diverging tastes in music led to a fatality on December 14th, reported the Arizona Republic. Officers responded to a call of shots fired in an apartment complex where a Sheldon Sturgill, 41, told them he shot his roommate after an argument and fist fight over the type of music they were listening to. Sturgill and a roommate had been drinking shots and beer before the altercation. He was held on suspicion of second-degree murder, and it is unclear what the offensive music choice was. Well, then why... Why even share the story? That's what everybody wanted to know about. Alternative Medicine, Havana, Cuba. Resident Pepe Casana, 78, has discovered a tried-and-true way to treat his rheumatism pain. Once a month for the last 10 years, Casana seeks out a blue scorpion, which is endemic to Cuba, and lets it sting him. I put the scorpion where I feel the pain, Casanas told Reuters. After the sting, it hurts for a little while, but then it calms and goes away and I don't have any more pain. In fact, researchers have confirmed that the scorpion's venom has anti-inflammatory and pain relief effects. It may even delay cancer growth in some patients. A Cuban pharmaceutical company has been selling a homeopathic pain remedy called Vitatox, made from the scorpion venom, but Casanas, a former tobacco farmer, takes the simpler route. He simply keeps a scorpion under his straw hat for luck, where he says it likes the shade and humidity. Where does he keep the hat? Does he keep it on his head? Does he walk around with a scorpion in his hair all day and then it's like, ah, ah, this knee of mine. Get to work, compadre. Who knows? A foul fetish, folks. Get ready. The Daily Mail reported on December 14th that a Chinese man identified only as Peng 
was hospitalized in Zhangzhou, Fujian province after he complained of a cough and chest pains. As doctors examined him, Peng admitted that he is addicted to smelling his socks that he had been wearing. The pain in his chest, it turns out, was a fungal infection he had inhaled from his socks. While Peng is expected to make a full recovery, other people fessed up on Chinese social media that they have the same habit. The reason I smell my socks is to know if I can continue wearing them the next day, one commenter said. Another pledged to wash my socks every day now. Some things it's okay to wear more than one day in a row. Socks? Probably not on that list. Creative currency. Maybe it was the triple breakfast stacks McGriddles that lured Anthony Andrew Gallagher, 23, to the drive through lane at the Port St. Lucie, Florida, McDonald's to satisfy his hungries on the morning of December 16th. But when it came time to pay, the Associated Press reported Gallagher offered the dude in the window a bag of weed instead of cold hard cash. The worker declined the payment and Gallagher drove away, returning a while later. McDonald's staff called police after the first attempt and Gallagher was apprehended for marijuana possession and driving under the influence. In stories of awesome, retired hospitality executive Rick Antosh, 66, of Edgewater, New Jersey, was enjoying a plate of oysters at Grand Central's Oyster Bar in New York City when he felt something hard in his mouth. I just all of a sudden felt something like a tooth or a filling, and it's terrifying, Antosh told PIX11 News, but when he looked, he realized it was a pearl. Antosh called over the floor manager to ask how often such a discovery happened. He was told he'd never heard of it before. Antosh has not had the pearl appraised, but early estimates say it could be worth $2,000 to $4,000. Well worth the plate of the price of, uh, the price of the plate of oysters. Unusual tastes. Karen Kahenny, 42, of Barnsley, South Yorkshire, England, is a heavy smoker, puffing on 60 to 80 cigarettes a day. But as she watches TV in the evening, Kahenny also eats eight cigarette butts. And as a side dish, she eats about nine ounces of chalk every week. Her odd addictions are related to pica, she told the mirror, a condition which involves eating things that aren't really food. I have no idea what triggered it, she said. It isn't so much like uh, the taste of the cigarette butts or the shock that I like. It's more the texture and the crunch. When she runs out of either item, I get quite agitated and my mouth begins to water. Kenny hasn't consulted a doctor about her addiction, claiming she's too embarrassed, but she has discovered a Facebook page for others who suffer from pica. It makes me feel less like a weirdo, less like I'm going mad, Kenny says. Too embarrassed to see a doctor, so here's a Facebook group and here's a story about me. That makes sense. Redneck Chronicles call it a dangerous case of mistaken identity. The Helena, Montana Independent Record reported that a 27-year-old man was shot multiple times on December 16th after being mistaken for Bigfoot. The unidentified man told police he was setting up targets for shooting on federal land when the bullet struck the ground nearby. He ran for cover, then confronted the shooter, who said the first man was not wearing orange and thought he was Bigfoot said Lewis and Clark County Sheriff Leo Dutton. The cryptid impersonator described the shooter's vehicle to police but didn't want to press charges, asking only that the shooter be lectured about safe shooting. This is America. We think we found Bigfoot. Quick, kill it. We're terrible, terrible people. Wait, what? Jim Alexander, 41, and Bettina Bradshaw, 54, of Torquay, Devon, England, are planning a Christmas feast for families and friends. On the menu, dear... Pheasants, rabbits, badgers, and 
Roadkill. Alexander, a trained butcher, has collected nearly 50 fresh animal corpses over the past year. I know people will think it's unusual, but really it just makes sense, Alexander told Metro News. Bradshaw says her family refers to him as a serial killer, but he has gradually won over, won her over to the idea of eating roadkill. The first few times he brought a deer home and told me it was for the dog. Obviously, you turn your nose up a bit at the start, but now it doesn't bother me at all, she said. Alexander said his odd collecting habits had drawn the attention of police, but once they realize I'm doing nothing wrong, they're fine. They even helped me lift an animal into the van, he said. I mean, you do you, right? You do you. I would rather not eat at your house. Not that, you know, I think, you know, maybe we shouldn't be eating deers, pheasants, rabbits, and badgers, but fresh roadkill, it's still roadkill.
Ladies and gentlemen, that is going to do it for Electric Leftovers episode 201. My name is Jason. I forgot to say that at the beginning of the show. Thank you for listening. I do appreciate it and uh, appreciate all your support over the years. It's just about uh, 2019. And who knows, man? Who knows? Just when we think it's not going to get any worse, 2018 says, Hold my beer. There's still 14 days to go. You know, you know what I'm saying. Uh, I hope everybody, again, had a really good holiday and hope you have a very safe and happy New Year's. I hope everything goes just amazingly well for you. If you uh, have enjoyed listening to the show, I appreciate it. Check us out at lowbiasgaming.net where you can find all the old episodes. You can find all the old episodes and the playlists over there as well. Subscribe to the show using any podcast software of your choice. And uh, if you feel like supporting the show financially, that would be super cool of you. You can do so at patreon.com slash Jason's Groove Machine. Thanks very much. Have a happy new year. Brought to you by...